Good evening and a very warm welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Birch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Well, today being a Thursday, it's Shayla's Day. So coming up on the Catholic View this evening, we bring you our feature on women as we focus on investing in Africa's emerging women leaders. We also take a look at a book entitled Woman, Now is the Time. And then we close with Most Influential Africa Female Politicians. That's coming up later on on the Catholic View. For now, though, we begin as usual with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond today. So do stay tuned to the Catholic Field. Listen to Radio Veritas 576 AM for a change. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, saints and martyrs carry the church forward. AU chief steps down linked to ANC leadership and worldwide action against diabetes. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Birish. In his opening remarks at morning mass this Thursday, Pope Francis said it is the saints of ordinary life and the martyrs of today that carry the church forward with their consistent and courageous witness to the risen Christ, thanks to the working of the Holy Spirit. Pope Francis drew his inspiration from the day's reading, which were taken from the Acts of the Apostles. In difficult moments in history, said Pope Francis, we hear it said that our country needs heroes, and this is true, this is right. But, he asked, what does the Church need today? It needs witnesses, martyrs. Pope Francis took the day's reading from the Acts of the Apostles as the starting point for his reflection on true Christian witness. St. Peter, who had denied Christ three times during the Lord's Passion, after the resurrection began to fearlessly preach the gospel. Christian witness, the Holy Father said, follows the path of Jesus, even to the point of giving one's life. In one way or another, he said, the Christian puts his life on the line by giving true witness. This witness consists first in living a life consistent with what we have seen and heard in faith about the risen Jesus, but it also depends on the life of grace, which we receive with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see this especially in the very many martyrs of our own day who live their lives seriously, even to the point of being willing to give up their lives for the faith. In our world today, the Pope said, we need true Christian witnesses, everyday saints who, through the Holy Spirit, live lives consistent with their faith, and the martyrs who bear witness even to the point of death. These witnesses, the Pope said, are the lifeblood of the Church. These are the ones that carry the Church forward, the witnesses who attest that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is alive, and who bear witness through the consistency of their life with the Holy Spirit they have received as a gift. I'm Christopher Wells. After Kenya, Uganda also intends to proceed with the registration of so-called FBO, faith-based organizations, a measure sponsored by the Department of Ethics and Religious Affairs in Uganda's presidential office, which is strongly contested by the Catholic Church and other Christian denominations. 
If what we are doing is good, then why should we be registered? Why should a faith that has been in existence for centuries need an operation license? Asked His Excellency Monsignor John Baptist Kawuta, the Secretary General of the Uganda Episcopal Conference, who describes this government initiative as suspicious. Monsignor Kawuta added that scrutiny needs to be done to establish the real intentions of political authorities to adopt such a measure. Back home, following a call by ANC veterans for President Jacob Zuma to step down or face disciplinary action, Secretary-General of the African National Congress, ANC, Gwede Mantashe, says every South African citizen has a constitutional right to express their views. He says they are sending members of the NEC to meet with branches around the country to engage them on the Constitutional Court judgment on Kandla. However, Mantashe stated that the veterans of the movement have the right to express their views with the president. But when they join the call to remove President Zuma, it is disturbing to the organization. People have a right to do anything. What is the right in the constitution? If they, they don't uh, or they are suppressed, it will be uh, suppressing people from exercising their right. But those who are members of the ANC are going to have a chance to talk to any three members who will be deployed to all the regions to allow branches to engage. And that program will continue. I mean, the Northern Cape now, we had an opportunity to engage with members uh, of all the alliance partners in the Alliance Summit. Quite interesting things to do emerge there. At least that there is a discussion, a debate, there is no call. People express views, as I say, right, they must be recalled, as I say, let us be careful and so forth, but it is more fulfilling because there is a discussion. While we wanted to be the president of the ANC, pushed by Jim, okay, when he didn't get that and his ambition was not fulfilled, he walked away. That is what I described as desperate. I say, then that desperation of one to lead something is going to make that initiative very dangerous. That's what I'm referring to. On our part as well, there is some expectation that veterans of the movement are the only people beyond even the NEC who have the right to walk into a room where President Jacob Zuma is sitting and express their views face-to-face with him. Now, when they don't do that and they join a call, public call, we are really concerned because uh, when that happens, uh, it becomes a, a little bit of an awkward situation because it is not in my nature to, to, to respond to them directly now if they are in the mark out there. But ideally, those veterans of the movement have the authority and the power to go to where President Zuma is and raise their issues. They have the power and the right to walk into the tools and say to us, hey, you young people, you are messing up with our movement. They have that right. Uh, and uh, would still want to see them exercising it. 
According to Reuters News reporters, the head of the AU African Union Commission, Kosezana Dlamini Zuma, who is tipped to take over the leadership of South Africa's ruling African National Congress ANC, will step down at the end of her four-year term in July. AU spokesperson Jacob Eno Eben said on Wednesday that Dlamini Zuma did not submit an application to remain as chairperson for a second term. The decision was personal, say Jacob Eben, without giving further details. Dlamini Zuma is leading candidate to succeed South African President Jacob Zuma, her ex-husband as ANC leader. And finally, the global prevalence of diabetes has nearly quadrupled since 1980 and has risen faster in low- and middle-income countries than in high-income countries. That's according to Dr. Etienne Crook, the director of the World Health Organization WHO Department for Management of Non-Communicable Diseases. The organization has published its first-ever global report on diabetes for World Health Day observed annually on the 7th of April. The direct medical costs of diabetes, meaning costs of labor and supplies, amounts to an estimated 800 billion U.S. dollars annually. Dr. Krug spoke to Carmen Rocker about the key findings of the report. The World Health Organization is dedicating World Health Day this year to diabetes to draw attention to the rise in diabetes. We're seeing a dramatic increase in the number of adults affected by diabetes from 108 million in the early 1980s to over 422 million today. That's a fourfold increase. And it's happening in all countries in the world. In fact, we're seeing a sharper increase in the poorer countries than in the more developed countries, which in the past used to have the highest rate and now have the lowest rate. Diabetes has actually been seen as a disease of affluence in the past, linked to eating maybe too much sugar, and especially among young people. Is that a fair characterization? And what other misconceptions might there be about the disease? Diabetes has long been seen, indeed, as a disease of affluence. This has changed, and it has changed quite quickly. We see now much higher rates in lower and middle-income countries than we see in the high-income countries, and the rates are increasing faster in poorer countries. Diabetes has been linked with eating too much sugar. This is one of the causes. We should link the rise in diabetes to broader factors such as lack of physical activity and unhealthy eating, which has to do with sugar, but also with uh, fat, for example. What is the cost of diabetes to the world's health, and what consequences are there if we don't take these steps to tackle the disease? Today, 8.5% of the global population has diabetes, so it affects a large proportion of people, as well as their families, of course. This has a physical and a mental cost for those who are affected, but it also has an economic cost for individuals and their families because treatment can be quite expensive. Uh, we know, for example, that one month of insulin treatment for the lowest paid government working represents 2.8 days of work in Brazil, 4.7 in Pakistan, and 7 in Nepal, or even 19 days in Malawi. We also know that diabetes has very big financial costs for society if we add up not only the direct medical costs, but also the lack of productivity. The direct medical costs alone are over $800 billion every year. What kind of ways can we tackle this, this rise in, in diabetes and, and the problems that are, are linked to it? 
we need to take action on our eating and our physical activity habits. We need to increase this by working at very young age, starting with breastfeeding policies, for example, and ensuring healthy eating habits at the very young age, as well as increasing playing outside, physical activity for children, rather than spending the days in front of the TV and the computer. We also need to work throughout the lifespan, including with uh, workplaces, for example, where we need to make sure that uh, physical activity and healthy eating is being promoted. We need to work with private sector to reduce sugar and fat content in food and have policies like that all over the world, including in the poorest settings, where people need to be able to make these healthy choices. We also need to make sure that people who have diabetes are diagnosed on time before complications arise and that they have access to the medicine. We know, for example, that only a third of lower-income countries say that they have insulin and other diabetes medicines widely available. That means that in two-thirds of poorer countries, people don't have access to these medicines who often are a question of life and death. And those have been some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond right here on the Catholic View. Do stay tuned. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Welcome back. Still on the Catholic View. Thursday it is Shayla's Day. And being a Shayla's Day, we always bring you our woman feature, which is coming up next. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I am expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. Today we focus on investing in Africa's emerging women leaders. We also take a look at a book entitled Woman Now is the Time. And we finish with most influential Africa female politicians. Lizzie Wayne Chinguluna is a public speaker and charismatic teacher who touches many with her powerful message of empowerment, service, excellence and gratitude. Lizzie Wayne spent years as an educator in the schooling system, first as a high school teacher and subsequently as a head of department, then principal. Liziwe is now the circuit manager of Kowali Nzo in Maluti District Department of Education in the Eastern Cape. 
A sometimes controversial public speaker who never shies away from speaking her mind, Liziwe explores the links between spiritual, physical, and emotional fragmentation in order to raise consciousness and facilitate the integration between the self, the other, and the world. As an author, she examines the interconnectedness of mind, body, spirit in the context of the world with graceful simplicity, as evidenced in her writing, Woman, Now is the Time. For many years, the United Nations, the African Union, world leaders to be precise, have been talking about women, about the empowerment of women, about the recognition of women in different um, aspects of life. Now, your book is entitled, Women, Now is the Time. What time are we talking about? Okay. It's the time that you are in. For example, you find that we were in the industrial era, in the, in the industrial era. Grown was necessary for people to succeed. But now we're in the information era. In the information, in the information era, we need soft skills. People who have got brains that work fast. So now the reason I wrote the book that woman now is the time. The other thing that I've noticed is that when, when businesses are started, 60% of the businesses fail. And then in the cooperatives, 97% of the cooperatives that are started, they fail because women don't come on board with the whole of who they are because we have grown under conditioning. Women are fearful of embracing the manly side of themselves, the, the, the side that does, the side that is proud, the side that takes a project to the finish. And then what I'm talking about there is that at this time, in order for the world to succeed, because in the world you notice that there's too much suffering, so the book is written to address the feminine side of the women and the feminine side of the men because women have been taken as weak things. Everything that has got to do with women, people despise. For example, when you say power, people think of men. When you say nurturing, people think of a woman. So now that side of a woman has got to come out so that you can balance. In the Eastern philosophy, they say that is the yin and the yang. So the moment a woman comes up and becomes proud of who they are, they must not become like men because that is what we have been hating because men have not been treating women well. So sometimes it happens that when a woman is rising up, he becomes more like a man. So when the woman understands that he can be a female and yet be strong, that is the time for those type of women. Women who are going to take leadership positions without having people behind them holding their hands and appearing as if it is the woman who is ruling. So they have got to become whole as women in order to lead well. So this is their time, because the time, this time there is too much suffering in the world. And then because of that, we mean that we need that nurturing side, that loving side of women, yet the strong part of the woman we also need. Well, Lizzie, I see that you started first as a high school teacher, then you went on to be head of department and then eventually principal. And now today uh, you are working at the Department of Education in the Eastern Cape. You have literally, you know, you've just been going up and up and up. Basically what you've been telling us, that the woman has that leadership side, the woman does have that strong side and still be woman. That doesn't necessarily 
necessarily mean that because you're a woman, you have to be weak and always rely mm. on men mm. to pull mm. you up. Talk mm. to us, women, about your uh, progress in life. How did you find your progress in life? What challenges did you come across and how did you overcome them? Thank you, Ma. Mm, in life, the, I'm sure the background, where I, the way I grew also encouraged me to be the person I am because at a young age, I found myself heading a family. And then from there on, I depended on myself. And then because of my, my being independent, I was able to do things for myself. And I'm one of those people who does, when, when I do something, I taste it. And one of the things that I found about myself is that I don't go, I don't go with the head. If people are going to lead to the left, if I don't believe that that is the correct way to go, I don't go to the left. So I always listen to my inner being, what is it that I need and what is correct for the moment. So those are one of the things that have pushed me. And it's highly challenging because it's not easy to go up the, with, the, with the river flow when all people are going down with the, with the river flow. So all that I do is to say to it that I believe what I, what is inside me. And then when the people are pulling me down the stream to go with them, I have a passion for them to understand that they don't know what I'm talking about. So I persevere because I believe that the people who are around you, you don't have to change so that they can be comfortable. You must change so that they can see that change is possible by looking at you, doing it alone. So that is what has kept me moving. Because from my being a, a deputy principal, and in fact an HOD for principalship, there were a lot of challenges, especially when you are a leader as a principal, especially when you want to embrace in your leadership all of the people. Because sometimes we find that amongst the people that you are leading, some of them want to sabotage you. And then we've got to be carefully with them. We don't have to alienate them. We've got to, I, I usually find ways to pull them in so that, because sometimes it happens that when people, when you alienate people, they are going to form groups and take all the people that should be following you to their side. So that is what I try to do. I try to keep the balance. And one of the missions and visions that I have about leadership is that when you are a leader, you must be a leader that creates leaders in turn. So as a principal, I use to make sure that each and every person was utilized in a leadership position, for example, in committees at the school, so that each and every person can feel important in his own right, because that is how people come out so that they can know that they are able to lead. Because if you cannot lead yourself, you cannot be led and you cannot lead. Now, I was listening to you here, and I noticed that most of the time you've mentioned about how you've overcome things, how you, as in singular you, have accomplished ABC. How, why is it that most of the times when you have a group of women working together, or rather from that group of women, you see a woman that starts to expand her wings, a woman that starts growing in whatever it is that she's doing. Why is it that we often see that the other, the remainder uh, part of the woman are not that supportive of that one that is leading the way? Have you ever come across such experiences? Okay, what I found out is that when women see another woman leading, they take that as taboo because we have been conditioned to believe that a woman should be submissive. 
So sometimes it happens that when you when a woman sees another woman doing what she can do, and then she she tries to pull that woman down because she does not want proof that it is possible. So that is one of the things that women usually do, and that uh, that is one of the thing, uh, things that I address because I say that as women we must understand that we are sisters because. If we behave as sisters, then we come together and support each other, and then the world can become a better place. So if a woman does not understand what a woman means, then it's going to pull other women down because they are a picture to her that it is possible. And then in the circumstances where she is, she still believes that it is not possible to be a leader, to be whatever it is that men, that people require to become. So people, first of all, must embrace being a woman. And then before you embrace being a woman, you must know what a woman is. And then look at your strengths and look at your weaknesses so that you can work at your weaknesses, supporting your strengths. It's not easy, really, because we have been conditioned to live according to how other people want us to live. So it's not easy to come out of that. But you can do it. Yes, I did it because, <laughs> as I said, that in, in yeah. a married situation, for example, yeah. uh, I did not stay well because what I usually ask a woman who's about to marry, I ask her, what type of a bed are you that is going to stay in a house? Because whenever you put a bed in a house, it's going to fly and break every ornament that is in the house. And then it it is necessary for the owner of the bed to cut the bed's wings. So we find out that as women, in order to stay well in a relationship, you've got to cut your wings down. So if we can find, find relationships where the companion or the husband does not need to cut your wings, then both the woman and the, and the, and the man can grow because we've got to complement each other and not compete with each other. That is why it is necessary for the man to know what a man is and a woman to know what a woman is so that they can complement each other. Thank you very much, Lizzie. I think we'll leave it there. But before I let you go, where can we get your books? My my book ma, is, is obtainable from Verity Publishers. Verity Publishers has got boy as well as got both the hard copy and an ebook. On the woman now is the time is obtainable from Kima Global Publishers. All right. Thank you so much for your time. And I wish you all of the best with your writing and, of course, uh, with your life coaching skills. And I wish that you touch more and more lives with what you have, mm-hmm. with your experience and what you have to share with the world. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, ma'am, for having me, for letting me be the voice that speaks so that people can listen. Thank you very much. Amen. That is what I needed. Thank you very much. Hi, hi. Former Malawi President Joyce Banda has sealed a ninth world recognition by being listed among 12 most powerful female politicians in Africa by the influential African Leadership Magazine. The magazine also recognized Sierra Leone President Johnson Sirleaf and Gozi Luella Okonji, who served two terms as Minister of Finance in Nigeria, 
from 2003 up until May 2015. Nkosa Zana Zuma, the current chairperson African Union Commission, Lindiwe Mazibuku, former parliamentary leader for the Democratic Alliance in South Africa, Speciosa Wandira Kazibwe, United Nations Special Envoy for HIV and AIDS in Africa, Fato Bansuda from Gambia, who's a chief prosecutor for the International Criminal Court since June 2012. Tuli also made a list, the public protector here in South Africa, Joyce Mujuru, former vice president of Zimbabwe, Samia Sulu Hassam, the vice president of Tanzania, Martha Karua, a politician and one of the first Kenyan female legislators, and Hannah Tete, who is a minister of foreign affairs. And finally, investing in young African women is good for their countries, the continent and the world. That's according to two young women from Botswana. Rifilwe Kerekang and Anne Moache are former fellows of the Moreni Initiative Leadership Empowerment and Development Program, which mentors young women from Africa and the diaspora. Dian Pan met with Rifilwe and Anne following their participation on the Women's Economic Empowerment Panel on the issue of emerging African women leaders. My name is Rifilwe Kerekang and I am a 2015 MyLead Fellow. I do quite a number of things, but one of the things that I'm really concentrating on is my NGO called Purple Crown Society, which basically deals with underlying issues that the youth are facing socially, academically, and just everything to do with that development. Hi, I'm Anne Moatse from Botswana. I'm a radio planning engineer at Orange Botswana, and I also am the vice chairperson of Botswana Society for Human Development. And now, Anne, you spoke about being an engineer and being a woman engineer. Like sometimes there aren't that many of you in the room. As women engineers, we're very few in our industry. Like I mentioned earlier, in my department, there's 60 people, but only 10 women engineers. But we're trying to work towards trying to build a girl child from the grassroots so that they could have an interest and a passion and try to combat some of the issues that may try and hinder girls from becoming engineers. It sounds like it's in tandem with um, your colleague's work because she's focusing on education. Yes, definitely. The good thing about um, what we're working on is that there's a platform, there's already a good education system in Botswana and therefore when you have the girls, the, the problem is that they don't know which career paths to go to. So what we do now, we come in and say, hey, this is, you could be an engineer, you could be a telecoms engineer, you could do this. So we just try to broaden the perspective as to what career options are there for them. So you're both my lead fellows, is yes. that correct? Yes. Tell me, what has been the value of having that investment in you? Oh goodness, that's the one thing it's been. It's been an investment. It's my lead basically plants a seed in you. And what happens after the whole program, the three weeks that we spend um, in the training, is that you come, you become more aware of your surroundings, of your environment, of issues that other countries going through. Because in that training session, you have 24 other young women who are very vocal about whatever issue they're facing in their respective countries. So, you know, coming from Botswana, we do have... I don't know, we have national issues, but then we are just primarily a peaceful country. So you become more aware and more educated about what's going on in Kenya, in Sudan, in every other country around you. So that's what it does. They broaden your horizon, you grow, and you're able to just think outside the box. 
And to add on to that, um, it's not just about the place there and then. Look at us today, we're at CSW because of the Miley program. And secondly, on top of that, we have a Get Assistant to School program where we get the fellows who will help each other to do our master's program. I actually benefited from that. And now let's talk about being here at the United Nations, at the CSW. What has that been like? Goodness, I mean... This was my first event, and my first event enta- you know, entailed me speaking. Definitely an eye-opener, definitely something I've never experienced before, but it's just such a lovely experience to be around people who you share the same thoughts with. I don't know, it's just very en- enlightening, basically, and I can't wait to see the other sessions and attend and contribute and this and that. And um, on top of that, for me, personally, it was, it was like she said, it was an eye-opening experience. It's, it's, it's something that is you need to do in your life because I saw the first uh, two sessions and I happened to be in the same room as Ban Ki-moon and I was, I was so excited it was it was such a big experience you know and it's good that you get again to meet other people you have different people that are that are advertising their different sessions and you get to see what issues there are in different countries that you wouldn't have been aware of so it's a it's a really great moment for me Thank you very much. And now going back home, what, what will you take with you from your time here? The message that I would like to you know, give is just do more in your space because you never know the kind of change that you're going to generate. You never know the kind of people you're going to meet and their stories and how you're going to add to their stories. So just do more. Speak up about whatever issue that you are going through, whatever issue you believe in. Speak up. You know, Just do more and be active. Be active. Get out of your comfort zone and just be active. And for me, I'm going back with a message of hope because um, listening to the talks that we had yesterday and the progress that we've done since the last CSW, I'm confident that you know we're now moving from just speaking about it to actionable and deliverable. So I'm excited we're getting there. You know, the, the race is still on, but there's good progress. So I'm going back home with a message of hope. I'm excited. You've been listening to our woman feature right here on the Catholic View. Thank you so much for your time. Should you wish to contribute, feel free to send me an email. It's Shayla at radioveditors.co.za. I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time. Know there was something bad and something bad I left behind when I leave this world. I'll leave no regrets, leave something to remember, so they won't forget I was here. That brings me up to time. This has been your Thursday's edition of the Catholic Viewer program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao.